False converts, apostates are nothing new. If you go back in the Bible, probably the most famous one that we know is Judas, right? Judas walked with Christ. There's probably nobody in history that has had a closer look at Jesus than Judas that rejected him. I mean, because after Judas, I mean, they didn't physically see him, but Judas walked with Messiah. He saw the miracles. He had the knowledge. He was Jewish. He had, he had been brought up thinking about Messiah, wanting Messiah, and he rejected him. But you know, there's, there's been others. You know, there was Demas, who Paul said, left me for this world. And Simon, who we're going to read about today in Acts chapter 8, who made a profession, who continued with Philip. He walked with Philip after that. But we see that he was a false convert. And in this text today, God is going to reveal four barriers to true conversion. We're going to see barriers to true conversion. And God, He reveals that in the text today. But there's a... In modern history, probably two of the greatest that I remember um, are Bron Clifford and Chuck Templeton. In fact, there's an award called the Templeton Award that's given out to Christians yearly. There's an annual award called the Templeton Award to the greatest Christian organization or, or, or people that have the greatest impact. But Chuck Templeton... Bron Clifford were contemporaries with Billy Graham, and I've shared this with you guys before. They walked together. They, when they were uh, preaching and having impact back in, I think, the 40s, Bron Clifford was considered probably the greatest preacher of all the three. But Bron Clifford died of alcoholism in a hotel in Texas alone. He walked away. He walked away from it. Chuck Templeton became an atheist, started an uh, atheist kind of radio program. He was cerebral, very smart. He was probably the smartest of the three, at least intellectually, and he walked away from the faith. So you have these three who at the time, nobody would have picked Billy Graham to be the greatest impact on the country for Christ. It was the other two. But they were false converts. Today, there's a guy named Joshua Harris who wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. He had a huge impact on the purity movement with young people 20 years ago. And um, very well known in Christian circles. He became a senior pastor, was a pastor for about 14 years. Anyway, Harris walked away. But this is what he said. He, he called it deconstruction. See, that's the term. It's a very popular term today. If you don't know what that term it is, it's probably because you hadn't been on the internet or you hadn't been on YouTube. There's all kinds of YouTube uh, things about deconstruction. That's just a fancy way to say apostasy. It has a more positive sound. But listen, here's what deconstruction is. Alyssa Childers, who was... Uh, she was a, a singer in a group, I think called Zoe Girl. I'm not sure if that's the name of the group. It was a Christian singing group. She 
deconstructed, walked away from the faith. But this is what she says in her book. It's a process of going through everything you've ever believed about God and Jesus, the Bible, Christianity, all the doctrines, all of history, everything you thought about it, and you rethink everything. So basically, when a person who's lived their whole life as a professing believer begins to question and dissect everything that they've ever believed is true, tearing it apart until they discover no longer do they believe what they have proclaimed, perhaps sometimes for decades. They recant their faith. And Joshua Harris, when he made the announcement back in July of 2019, so this is only a couple of years ago, he, said, he, made an, he just came out on Instagram Okay, so imagine this. Your pastor, whoever it is, whatever church you go to, comes out on Instagram and says, hey, I'm leaving my wife. That's what he did. He, he just says, I'm leaving my wife. And, you know, I got a lot of things going on. I'm leaving my wife. On Instagram. He followed up with this statement. The information that was left out of our announcement is that I've undergone a massive shift in regards to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me there's different way to practice faith and I want to remain open, but I'm not there now. Not long after him, There was a guy named Marty Sampson who was a worship leader for Hillsong. He did the same thing. And he said, I'm genuinely losing my faith and it doesn't bother me. Like what bothers me now is nothing. I'm so happy. So at peace with the world. It's crazy. (laughs) But that makes sense though. If we're in enmity with the world, because of our faith, then to turn from the faith means you're now at peace with it. It's, it's no longer warring against you. You're, you join the other side. Yeah. I mean, I hate to put it that way, but it, it, it does make a lot of sense. Well, it's a temporary peace. Yeah, I, I, that's right. Agree. It's a temporary, it's a false peace. It's the same peace that the prophets prophesied when God said through Jeremiah, My prophets prophesy peace, peace when there is no peace. Because you're not at peace with God. Yeah. And that's ultimately the thing that's going to eat everybody. Nobody at the end of their life goes, Wow, I'm at peace with the world. If they're an unbeliever. Because deep down, they know they're at war with God. It's in the heart of every man. Abraham Piper, who is John Piper, many of you may have heard the name John Piper. He's written countless books. He's spoken for years. He was a pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church. He's been a professor and started a seminary and, and just he, he's been a huge influence on many, I would say millions of people throughout the world. His son, Abraham Piper, walked away, deconstructed at the age of 19 came back, and then deconstructed again. He was basically disciplined out of the church at 19 before he came back the first time because he said he wanted to stop pretending to be a Christian. Four years later, he returned to the church because God made it possible for me to love Jesus again after reading the book of Romans. 
but then he walked away. He now has 925,000 followers on TikTok. And do you know what he does? He spends all of his time debunking Christianity and the truth of the Bible. His pages are filled with countless videos with titles such as Nobody Believes in a Literal Hell. Why would why life would be pointless if there was ultimate meaning? The Bible says having kids is, isn't a good idea. What I replace Christianity with if you're still living with evangelical parents. These are his videos that he puts out. Another guy who wrote for John Piper named Paul Maxwell, he also was, uh, I think, taught at uh, Moody Bible College, is uh, said in his Instagram deconstruction moment, what I really miss is connection with people. What I've discovered is that I'm ready to connect again. I'm, I'm kind of ready not to be angry anymore. I love you guys. I love all the friendships and support that I've built. I think it's important to say that I'm just not a Christian anymore, and it feels really good. I'm really happy. R. Scott Clark wrote an article, and I just want to highlight a couple of things he says because he... He really lays it out. First of all, he says, in order to deconstruct something, something has to be constructed. Right? You can't deconstruct something that's not constructed. In other words, it has to be a human invention. Something that could be other than it is. Something that might not be. Christianity is not that. The incarnation, obedience, death, and resurrection of Jesus is not a construct. It's not the product of subjective religious experience. It's not a social invention. The Gospels aren't either, and neither are the writings of the apostles. They are divine revelation. He says, I understand that life in the visible institutional church can be hard, even miserable at times. But let's be clear about what's at stake when people speak about deconstructing their faith. If by that they're talking about apostasy, they're playing with fire and not the temporary kind. Apostasy is no game. Jesus is no chat room moderator. He is the great high priest. He is the chief shepherd and the lion of the tribe of Judah. Christianity is not a construct. Man didn't come up with it. Man didn't invent it. God, throughout time, unfolded a plan, starting with Adam, when he spoke to Adam. And throughout time, he's unfolded that and given us a revelation of his word in the Bible. But make no mistake, this has happened to countless people, countless children of missionaries, pastors, ministers, why? Well, because they weren't truly converted. There's, there's barriers to conversion. You know, we, we make it as simple as giving somebody a track and telling them, but if the Spirit doesn't do the work in the heart, it doesn't matter what they get up here. It has to penetrate down here. 
And so the four barriers, real quick, is false converts, first of all, care more about pursuing personal glory than God's glory. That's the first thing. It's all about the person, not about God. That's why the human-centered gospel presentation is a disaster. You don't start with God has a great plan for your life. You start with God and His plan, period. When we make it about humans, it it goes to their personal desires, their personal, you know, whatever ambition is. So that's the first thing. Second, false converts care more about following the ways of the world than the ways of God. They don't want to be dependent. They want God like a genie in the bottle, but they don't want to be dependent on God. Third, false converts care more about seeking fame and influence rather than a renewed heart. We see all three of these in Simon in this text. And finally, they seek fame and influence rather than a renewed heart. They don't, they don't want to acknowledge that their heart is broken and they need a new heart. And then fourth, false converts care more about avoiding painful consequences than following Jesus and knowing God. This is why hell can't be a motivator for somebody to come into the kingdom. Do you understand that? They care more about avoiding consequences than about knowing God in the way they're supposed to know God. See, it's about relationship. It's not about avoiding hell. It's about connecting with God in the way God created us to know Him. And so as we look at these four barriers, we're going to look at this text. I'm going to read it, and we're going to come back, and we're going to just kind of look at each one of these in the life of Simon, the magician in Samaria. So starting in verse 9, of chapter 8 of Acts. It says, But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Well, that ought to be a clue right there, right? They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. This is not illusions. This is not David Copperfield. This is demonic. If it's not from God, it's demonic to be able to do these kind of uh, supernatural things. And he had amazed them. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Can you believe and not be a true believer? Yeah, we just read that. It says he believed. The issue is not that he believed. What did he believe in? Where was his faith? That word believe is the word pisteo. It's the same root word that means a belief that produces an action, but only what he believed in was not Jesus. It was the acts of Philip that he believed in. 
Going down to verse 14, now when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, what did it say? Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Why is that significant, that last statement? Because they were going all over Samaria. The Jews hated Samaria. Samaria Samaria was not a place that the Jews envisioned Messiah would influence. They had written Samaria off. And, And there's a reason that they had not received the Holy Spirit yet. Because God wanted to endorse the Samaritans, the Samaritans with Peter and John's approval, the apostles who had the keys of the kingdom. What that means is they had the, they, they had the ability to go in and say, this is from God. This is not something Simon whipped up, Simon the magician. This is from God. Peter and John, because the apostles go, hey, there are people in Samaria who are coming and saying they want to follow Jesus. They believe He's Messiah. And so the Holy Spirit in God's sovereignty did not fall on them. Why? Peter had already preached, if you believe, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. But it didn't do it immediately. Why? Because God wanted to endorse the Samaritans as being acceptable. He did it with Gentiles with Cornelius later in chapter, I think, 10. And so... He did it with people who had been following John the Baptist in Acts 19. The same thing to endorse these people and say, yes, they are included in this as well. Because otherwise, there would have been division over it. And we saw that even with Cornelius. People were arguing about Gentiles. And so God wanted... This is not a normative thing. Now, there are people who throughout history have taught that there is a second blessing that comes on people. That they don't have the Holy Spirit. That's not true. That's not true. That doesn't mean something may not manifest in them. That doesn't mean God may not uh, anoint them with some uh, uh, spiritual boost. But it was always there. God just didn't manifest it for whatever reason. Because the Holy Spirit comes in us But the manifestation of that Spirit and how it manifests itself in the world is governed by who? 
God the Father. And He did not allow these people at this time to be filled because He wanted to endorse them with the apostles. And so that's the reason this is going on in this chapter like this. But people have used this text as a proof text to, well, you know, you can be baptized even, but not have the Holy Spirit. That's a second blessing. They teach a second blessing theology. But that's not what is going on here. This is not normative. It was just for what was going on here. Because we don't have Samaritan Jewish issues like that today. Now, that doesn't say God can't choose to do that sometime. He may choose to do that. He's God. He can do whatever He wants. But this was... Remember, Luke is writing to who? Theophilus to tell him what happened with the church and the unfolding of the story. And so he goes through this and you can't get caught up on that fact because that's just a basically a, a sub-fact. The whole point of what he's talking about is Simon. Because what he's doing here, he highlights Simon as a false convert and right after him we're going to read about the Ethiopian eunuch who what? Was a true convert. So he almost has these this, you see this a lot in Scripture. You see God holding up, this is not what you want to do, and this is what you want to do. you got King Saul over here, King David over here. And so that's what he's doing. So let's focus in on Simon's real, Simon real quick. The first thing we see in verse 9 is it says, He said he himself was somebody great. Pride. Where does pride come from? Where? Ultimately, where does it come from? Satan. Who was the most prideful being in, in the world? I mean, it was Satan, right? And, and, and we see that. Can you think of other examples in Scripture where pride led to the downfall of people? And people were really prideful, but they were not God's people, even though they should have been God's people? What about King Saul? Yeah, yeah. The kings of Israel. Was there any good king of the northern kingdom? They were all prideful men. Every one of them. What about King Herod? A lot of you guys don't know this. If you went to Israel with me, you know. Or if you've been to Israel, you probably know. King Herod was amazing. You know, we kind of think of him as a doofus. He's, he's kind of played in movies like he's aloof. He was a brilliant architect and and and. Builder, he, he built some of the greatest things in the world during that time. In the whole world. Some of the things he did was amazing. He was a man full of pride though. And he was terrified of the Messiah. Because he wanted to be king. But he was very, very prideful. Psalm 10 verse 4 says, And the pride of his face, the wicked can't seek him. He thinks there is no God. And what he means by that is that when the wicked man sees his face and he's prideful, he thinks he's somebody. He can't see God. He can only see himself. Simon was only seeking greatness. Simon sought to be the great one. And he was doing these magic things that were supernaturally magic, which came from who? The enemy. came from Satan. So of course he goes, he said he's great. I'm great. If you hear somebody saying, I'm great, you better watch out. Especially if they represent Jesus or say they represent Jesus. Proverbs 
God says, pride and arrogance I hate. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud. It says, Simon claimed to be great. And it says the people paid attention to him because for a long time he amazed them with what? His magic. They were captivated by that. They said, this man is the power of God. In other words, he's like God's chief representative. His faith was not in the Word that Philip spoke. It was not in Jesus. His faith was in seeing the miracles and going, I want that power. That's man. He, he's got something. These people were amazed with me, but now they're amazed with Him because He's talking about Messiah. He's healing people. And so His faith wasn't in Jesus. Even though He was following Philip. Even though He said He believed. Even though He was baptized. He pursued personal glory rather than God's glory. He had no humility. You know, if you think about the Apostle Paul, you go to 1 Corinthians 2, listen to what Paul wrote. He says, and and I want you to think about modern preachers today, modern communicators of the Gospel. And, and, And run them through this lens that Paul said. When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you uh, the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. What's one of the first things people say when you ask, what kind of, you, you know, where do you go to church? Or what's your pastor like? Oh, he's a great communicator. He's funny. Man, he's good. He is. Man. You know, we think so differently than God's Word talks about the way we should be looking at people who represent God. Paul says, I didn't, I didn't, those things weren't important to me. What's important is that I'm His. That's the most important thing. What His Word says, not my opinion about His Word. That I'm explaining His Word. That's why exposition is so important in the Scriptures. So if you are at a place where the pastor or the teacher, whoever they are, is telling you opinion and not explaining the Word, you need to go somewhere else. I don't care how funny they are. I don't care how good they are. What kind of stories they tell. Because if they're just telling you stories, they're not feeding you the Word of God if they're not explaining His Word. That's the first thing we see about false converts. They care more about personal glory than God's glory. Simon's faith was not in the Word, but in the miracle. Second, go down to verse 12. We see that he followed the ways of the world rather than the ways of man. Verse 12 says, When they believed Philip as he preached good news. By the way, remember last week we talked about, uh, if you weren't here, 
Uh, you can go back and hear it on the podcast, but we talked about the word euangelizo. That word was only used three times. It was only three times somebody would euangelizo or proclaim good news. When an emperor was born, when an emperor was uh, coronated, or when an emperor uh, won a great battle. That's the word Luke, Luke uses here twice in this text. Preach the good news in verse 12 and down in verse 25. It's the same word. And remember, we got that from Isaiah 52, verse 7, where the good news is what? Our salvation and our God reigns. The Lordship of Christ. All these people who deconstruct, you know why they want to deconstruct? Why they want to apostatize and walk away from the faith? Because they want to be their own God. They don't want accountability. That's why they do that. They follow the ways of the world, not the ways of God. They don't want God ruling over them. Verse 13, Even Simon believed after being baptized, he continued with Philip, seeing signs and miracles performed, he was amazed. Then we go down, and, it, and I, I explain why the delay in the Holy Spirit, because the Jews needed apostolic testimony and endorsement. That's... They needed the Samaritans to have that endorsement. But in verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Give me this power, he says. Spiritual power can't be bought. You can give all the money in the world to the church and you're not going to get it. You can't buy spiritual power. You can't buy it. I love what Alexander McLaren says. A heart right in the sight of God is the indispensable qualification for all the possession of spiritual power or any blessing that Jesus gives. If your heart's not right, you ain't going to get that power. It can't be bought. You know, Psalm 121 is one of those uh, songs of ascent they would sing every year. They would go to the three feast. Verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Simon wasn't following the ways of God. He wasn't dependent. He's trying to buy it so he can go do what he wants. He's, he doesn't want to be harnessed under God's authority. What he wants is, he just wants the power to use as he sees fit. Do we ever struggle with that? Do we want to harness God instead of being harnessed by God? I think we do. And we've got to ask ourselves sometimes, why? Why? I'm His. He bought me. He owns me. People who deconstruct and apostatize and walk away from the faith eventually get to the point where they don't want to pretend anymore. But there's a lot of people in church who don't want to be harnessed by God. They don't want to be dependent. That's a barrier to true conversion. False converts care more about pursuing glory than God's glory, their own personal glory. They care more about following the ways of the world than the ways of God. And they seek fame and influence rather than a changed heart. Verse 21, Peter confronts him. He says, you don't have any part in this matter. For your heart is not right before God. That is the key to the whole part about Simon. 
Your heart isn't right. You're, on the inside, you don't believe what you say you believe. Authentic faith has to be a part. He goes on to say, I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. In other words, you're bound by sin. You're still bound. Guys, do you realize when you are a true believer, you are unbound? You're, you're, it doesn't mean that you don't sin, but you're not in the bind of sin. You're not bound by it. It's not chaining you anymore. It doesn't mean you don't sin, but you're not bound by it anymore. He's still bound. The fact that he's still bound means he's not a true believer. Matthew 13 and Mark 4 are the parables of the sower and the soils. There's four types of soil for the Word of God to go into. The first soil is hard as a rock. It doesn't even penetrate. I had some of those in the line when I was sharing uh, on Saturday. I talked, nope, I don't want to know. I don't want to talk about it. I don't care. Can I pray for you then? Nope, don't even want you to pray for me. Okay. All right. That's hard ground. But there are some who are rocky. They, the seed goes on there and it sprouts up right away. These are superficial believers. These are people, oh, I love Jesus. They come to Christ right away and they're doing everything and it's all on the outside. Nothing on the inside. There's no growth that takes place because there's no deep root. So the Bible says when the sun comes out, and there's no root, they wilt because they don't have a deep root and they're not getting tapped into Jesus and His power. And the sun, they said, is temptation, tribulation, and persecution. When those things come into your life and you bolt, you never were part of the body to begin with. Matthew 13 and Mark 4, that's what it is. Those are people that seek fame and influence. They seek personal gain. They don't want a changed heart. They don't realize, I don't have a problem. I don't need Jesus. Then, the fourth barrier is people want to avoid painful consequences rather than following Jesus and knowing God. Verse 24, Simon answered him, and said, pray for me to the Lord. Simon wouldn't even pray. Guys, can I tell you, you don't need anybody to pray for you. You don't need anybody to pray for you. You have direct access to God the Father because Jesus Himself intervenes and interprets your prayers and takes them before the throne. He is your advocate. But Simon couldn't even pray. He said, you pray for me. And what does he say? Pray that my heart would be changed? No. That nothing of what you said may come upon me. It's still about him. God reveals that a barrier is avoid. People just want to avoid the consequences. They want to avoid judgment. Okay, I want to believe in God. I want to get that fire insurance policy. Man, to hell. I don't want to go to hell. Say, so check it off. But it ain't about a changed heart. Jeremiah 29.13 says, You will seek Me and find Me when you seek Me with all your heart. Psalm 119.2 Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart. 
Matthew 6, 33. Learned this very early in my life. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek God, guys, not His blessing. If you seek God, you get His blessings. But if you only seek His blessings, you're not really in relationship with Him. Kind of like a teenager. They just want your money. They don't want you. True? True. true. Your kids. Hey, Dad! What do you want? You only call me when you want something, so I know you must want something. Is that true? Come on, guys. You know that's true. Why is that? We, we do that all the time. But we can't do that with God. Four barriers. If those are the four barriers to conversion, what are the things that lead to conversion? First of all is humility. Okay. Second is dependence. Third is an authentic trust in God. An authentic belief in the one true living God. Not His miracles, but in Him. And fourth is seeking Him. The Bible says if you seek Him, you're going to find Him. So where, where are you? I don't know if any of those things resonate with you. I know it's very convicting to work through that, but I want you to notice in verse 25, He says again, now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So Peter and John were euangelizo the gospel, the good news that the Savior has come, the King has come. And what's so interesting about that is it was John with Peter. Do you remember what happened the first time? John came to Samaria with Jesus. Lord, do you want us to call down thunder and lightning on them? And judgment? Do you remember that? And Jesus rebuked him, and now here he is bringing the good news. John's life was changed because his heart was changed. Your heart can be changed if you let him have it and you seek him with your whole heart. Let's pray. Ken, will you close our time today in prayer?